Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. The title of today's message is Becoming One. Becoming One. We began a new series last week. What's the title of the series? One. We come from many different stripes, but we are one. Different experiences, different ethnicities, different educations, different occupations, different families, different doctrinal, different in church backgrounds. Um, add to that, uh, there's quite a few differences probably in our current experiences right now. So I think some of you, maybe you came in this morning and you're struggling with maybe the darkness of depression or with loneliness. But then on the other hand, others of you are elated with joy because you've seen God break through in your way, in your life, in a unique way this week. Some of you maybe currently are experiencing uh, financial prosperity. Then others of you um, maybe just struggling to get by right now. A whole host of things you know, that are different about us and some of you have been coming to this church for a long time or some of you have been a Christian for a long time some of you just showed up at this church today or uh, maybe just became a Christian in the last few weeks or months this is probably then also um, do you ever have any opinions? Uh, you know there's probably a lot of opinions in the room right now uh, political, cultural, national um, whether we'd like to admit it or not, we probably all have something to say about all of those. Yet, we aren't 500 individuals in this church. We're one church. We're not 250 hands and we're not 250 feet. We're one body. So Philippians emphasizes unity. It's all over this book. Thus the title of the series, One. The key question for us is, how do we become one? You know, if unity is a destination for the life of our church, what's the map say about how to end up there? Now, what do I need to punch into my GPS to end up at unity? And what do we need to do as a church? You know, I think... Uh, uh, Philippians one twenty seven, just make mention of that quickly, begins to give us some direction. Philippians one twenty seven, Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, now here's Paul's hope, here's Paul's hope that he would hear of the Philippians, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, divided, in conflict, focused on minor things, distracted, fussing at one another, over-busy, uncommitted. No, of course not. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind. How are we going to get there? By striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. By striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How are we going to become one? 
That's how. And uh, the GPS coordinates to get from diversity and difference to unity and oneness, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And I think what we see in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, which is our text this morning, we see a tremendous model, an example between Paul and the Philippian church of working together to become one. You notice similar terminology, just look in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Your partnership in the gospel. That's striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Look at verse 8, or verse 7. Middle of verse 7. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Uh, That's partnership. That's striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's how we become one this morning. We're going after four strivings of every believer that will make us one. That's the process. That's the roadmap. First thing, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. That's going to be coming in verses 3 through 5. I mean, how does verse 3 begin? Paul says, I thank my God. It's interesting what Paul doesn't say. Uh, Paul's actually writing this letter in response as a bit of a thank you uh, for the Philippians sending him a gift. Uh, You'll learn about that later in the series. Um, But he doesn't say, I I just thank you, Philippians. He doesn't say that. He says, I thank my God. Which expresses deeper uh, appreciation, do you think? Thank you. Or, I thank my God. See, we toss thank you around all the time. We say thanks, and we we mean it from a grateful heart. uh, There's something special about saying, I thank my God. Do you give thanks to God for the brothers and sisters in this church family? I mean, if, if truth were told, when was the last time that you specifically said, I thank my God? for one of the brothers and sisters around you, for one of your church family members, or a family, for one of your family members, your pastors, elders, leaders, children's ministry workers, the team who's running the sound and video every single week, worship team, small group leaders. I know many of you, because I know this church, I know many of you are already doing that. Would you tell them? Just tell them. Tell them, I thank God for you. I was on my knees just thanking God for you this week. Tell them. Thankful hearts to God make us one. It's extremely important. Paul certainly raises the bar on Thanksgiving here, but he, he doesn't just say, um, I thank my God. He, he, he feels it. He feels it in his soul. It's an emotional outpouring of Thanksgiving from the depths of Paul's heart. Look what happens. When do you give thanks, Paul? In all my remembrance of you. In other words, every time I think about you, and I think about you a lot, I thank God for you. That's a tremendous level of appreciation. How often? Always. In every prayer of mine. That's pretty often. For who, Paul? For you all. The whole Philippian church. Paul's fired about the whole church. Paul has reasons from the whole church 
to thank God for them. It's pretty comprehensive, Thanksgiving, I would say. And then, uh, how? Making my prayer with joy. It's emotional. Paul feels it. Paul's thanksgiving to God is deep appreciation expressed often for everyone with joyful emotion. Now, raise your hand if you think Paul's probably better at giving thanks than maybe say you. <laughs> now, keep your hand raised if, uh, if uh, you think he's really good at it in general. Okay? And you might need to grow a little bit. Um, how are we going to get there? Well, what's Paul so wound up uh, about the Philippians? What would make us really wound up to do this for one another? Here it is. Because of, verse 5, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's overwhelmed. They've partnered with him to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that phrase, from the first day until now, that just, just means Paul preached the gospel to them. They believed. And right now, right now, upon their conversion, they began supporting him. Uh, they were behind him. Uh, they were giving to him. They were praying for him. They were loving him. There was no season of waiting for growth now. I think down with the lie that we have to get to some place spiritually that nobody really knows what is exactly before we can impact somebody for Christ. The Philippians did it now, right upon their conversion. What a joyful thing it is to see that in the life of a new believer. All of a sudden they're converted and they just like throw themselves into the life of the church, into impacting others for Christ. The time to impact others for Christ is, tell me, now, it's now, right now, right now. Notice also that term partnership. Um, this is where our word fellowship comes from. Um, we, I would say, are pretty misguided as to what fellowship is these days. Uh, people say things at church picnics, you would say something like, the food was great, but the fellowship was even better. Um, partnership uh, or fellowship in the gospel is not eating burgers and hogging down chips together. Um, it's uh, not merely social hangout time with believers. Here's a definition. Partnership or fellowship in the gospel is two or more people advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ together. That's what fellowship is. That's what Paul means here. That's why Paul is so fired up. Here's a gentle suggestion. I'm going to be full of gentle suggestions this morning. Here's a gentle suggestion. Let's just, let's just, can we do this together? Let's just have a funeral right now. Let's lose the term fellowship from our vocabulary until we actually use it in the way it's, that Paul intends it here, that God intends for it, uh, for the advancing of the gospel of Jesus Christ together. Um, that way we don't instruct others and create any more confusion in the life of the church uh, as to what fellowship is. Just funeral. Funeral right now, it's dead, we killed it. Okay. Why? Why is that a big deal? Here's why it's a big deal. Because if all fellowship or partnership is to us, is having fun together or mutually entertaining one another, though those are important parts of our social life together, but if that's what we reduce it down to, we don't really have anything that great to give thanks to God for. See, it would be like something like this. Oh, God, thank you for all the fun I have with them. And none of us have ever done that. 
So we just wouldn't have anything. What, does fun together produce that kind of passionate thanksgiving that we see here between Paul and the Philippians? No, it does not. But if fellowship is this, if fellowship is getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out, if fellowship is people changing into the image of Christ in the life of this church, if fellowship is us linking arms together uh, to see disciples made all across the world, in Avon, and in Indiana, and all across the world, to see people's marriages radically transformed, to see parents raising kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and kids who love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to see the addict and the homosexuality set free, if that's what fellowship is, that's something we're going to get fired up about. That's something I'm fired up about. That's something that would fire up your heart, and that's something that would cause us to be overwhelmed for one another's co-laboring together and result in giving thanks to God. Has anyone partnered with you in the gospel in some way? I mean, I'm assuming they have. You're here, at least. And uh, uh, they've helped you grow in your faith. See, partnership in the gospel. Anyone who's taught you anything about Christ, uh, any, any, every sermon preached, you know, every truth spoken in a small group, every uh, children's ministry worker sharing God's truth with your children, every evangelism opportunity seized, every word of encouragement, every moment of forgiveness, all of that is our partnership in the gospel. Give thanks to God for those people. Give thanks to God for those moments. And then when you do, tell them. Tell your brothers and sisters, man, I give me thanks to God for you this week. Tell them. See, our partnership in the gospel then also extends beyond just this church family. It uh, extends to other churches. And so um, Harvest Bloomington, for instance, we uh, um, regularly just give thanks to God for this church at our core group meetings. True? And uh, for your guys' support, your generosity, prayer support, commitment to us, staff help, words of encouragement, over and over and over and over again. Our church has tons of reasons to say, we thank our God for you. We do. We feel it. We need you. We have a lot to give thanks to God for because of this ministry. Here's a bit more challenging question, though. If, what if we're not giving thanks to God? What if that's not actually happening from our life? What if, what if we're not doing that? Um, well, I would say at best, we're apathetic. At best, we are just kind of indifferent about giving thanks to anybody. At best, we're just not really in the game. We're just kind of, you know, like the little kid on a baseball field picking dandelions in the outfield or something. We're, you know, at worst, we have a critical attitude. See, if you're not in a consistent pattern of giving thanks to God for one another, if we're not in that more than likely we're stuck pretty deep in the mud, way deep in the mud of criticism. God hates a critical attitude. Even when it's just one time. Even when it's small 
See, it's not really that small. Apparently, it's a big enough deal to you that you would uh, tear down a relationship, destroy it, cause division with some word of criticism. I know this isn't most of you, but for some of you, this is a word to you. I don't really have a lot of energy for critical attitudes or maybe I have too much energy. I don't know. I'm holding myself back a little bit right now. I may just be critical of critical people too. (laughs) Pray for me. I'm just saying God hates that and you would do very well. You would do very well to go home and get on your knees in repentance, crying out to God for forgiveness thanking him for the countless ways that the gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing in all the earth from Harvest Bible Chapel, Indy West. The soldiers who we honor today and this weekend, um, when they're in the trenches together and when they have been in in the trenches together, giving their lives for the life of the man or woman next to them, I don't think they had a lot of energy or time to be critical us less us less soldiers of the cross giving ourselves to the primary goal that God gave us on this earth I think it's amazing it's really amazing how much giving thanks for our partnership uh, to God would help us become one become united Uh, it's a critical and important step in the life of our church together Give thanks to God. And then, verse 6, encourage your family. Encourage your family. We're a family here. And uh, encourage your family. The Philippians were like the closest family to Paul. Um, no one else, when no one else had supported him in his ministry, uh, the church at Philippi did. In chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says this. He wrote, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So Paul's got a special place for the Philippian church when they supported him, when no one else did. They had a tight relationship. So what does Paul do with his family next? What does he do in verse 6? He encourages them. This is a tremendous word of encouragement. Paul says, and I am sure of this. So Paul's confident. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Confident of what? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's confident that God has began a good work in this church. Why? How could he be so confident? The answer? The evidence. The evidence. There was evidence in their life. Their life had been totally changed. Their passion to see the gospel advance, their passion to support Paul in his ministry, right from the time of their conversion. Impacting others for Christ now, Paul saw that. And he says, and if God began a good work in them, he's going to finish it. That's a tremendous word of encouragement. Now, what encourages your heart? What encourages your heart? The thing, I know what encourages my heart the most. I think the thing that would encourage our hearts the most would be somebody looks at our life and they see God's good work happening. You see the evidence of God changing somebody's heart. 
That would be for you if somebody came to you and said, man, you used to really be critical of people. I remember how you talked about your coworkers, but you know what? Now I see that you're just about getting the gospel to them. And God has done an amazing work of transforming you. That would encourage your heart for somebody to see that, wouldn't it? So you can imagine how encouraged the Philippians are uh, when they hear Paul say uh, that that he sees evidence in their life, so much evidence that he's willing to say, when Jesus comes back, he's going to finish that work in you. Let me encourage you. If you know Jesus Christ, if he's began that work in you, he will finish it. Nothing will stop him from finishing it. He will finish it gloriously at his return. Now, how many of us, um, let's say yesterday, you, uh, how many of you yesterday received too much encouragement? Um, what about the day before? You're just like, I'm so encouraged today. 4,000 people called me on the phone and talked about how they've seen God's grace just powerfully at work in my life, transforming me. Stop! I quit answering the phone. I can't take anymore. I'm about to bust with uh, an overfilled cup of encouragement. For most of us, that's never actually happened, right? And uh, um, uh, so we, you know, we could either just like gripe about the fact that that's never happened in our life or... Uh, we could just start doing our part. Start doing our part. Do your part to uh, see in other people's lives how God is clearly at work. And then tell them about it. Tell them how God's grace. Encourage your family. Encourage your family. You know, uh, um, the small groups just started. Six, set, six steps to encouragement. And uh, here's a gentle suggestion. If you're not signed up, sign up. Sign up today. Uh, don't leave here without signing up. Who doesn't need to grow in being an encourager? I feel like I need to grow on that all the time. And I wish I was in the small group. So uh, sign up. Get signed up today. Uh, join that. You've only missed one. Who cares? Uh, you still get it 70%, five out of six meetings or whatever it is. Who knows? Um, here's another suggestion. Read through the Gospels. Read through the Gospels and see how did Jesus encourage How did he encourage his disciples over and over again? The words of Christ bring comfort. They bring help. uh, They bring encouragement. Notice that. Here's another place to start. Start with your spouse. Start with your kids. Um, Just start getting done encouraging your family. Now, for someone else here, um, likely in a group this size, I need to ask this question. Has God began that good work in you? Has God began the work of salvation in your heart and life? And the person who brought you today, would they see in your life, would they see it? Would they see the evidence? Would they see uh, a life that's been totally transformed by faith and trust and a surrendered will to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to his death, burial, and resurrection is the only means of my forgiveness? Would they see that? Would they see a person who's, who's uh, been changed from greed to generosity? Would they see a person who's been changed from pride to humility? Would they see a person who is in bondage to their own sin, 
who's now experiencing freedom, where they see a person who's uh, changed from angry to self-controlled and at peace. If not, if not, now I know we don't know each other's hearts perfectly, but there should be some change. There would be evidence if this had taken place in your life. If not, come to the cross of Jesus Christ now. Come now. Come. Flee from your sin. Run as far as you can from it, embracing Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. He will save you. He will change you. It'll be an encouragement to the family. For those of you who know Jesus, you become one as you encourage your family. We're striving to give thanks to God. We're striving to encourage our family. We're striving to communicate affection. Communicate affection in verses uh, 7 and 8. Paul completely opens up his heart in verses 7 through 8. I mean, he completely pours out his heart. uh, He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. Uh Uh-oh. Men, this is a grown man talking about his feelings. Um, Wives, nudge your husbands. Go ahead. Just tell them, say, this will be really good for you. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. What way? Well, a deep sense of gratitude from verse 3 for their partnership and confidence. uh, And confidence from verse 6 that a genuine work of God had began in their life and that it would be finished. Why does he feel this way? He says, because I hold you in my heart. Do you have anyone like that? You just have a special place in your heart for them. As you think about uh, all that they've meant to you in the Lord, as you think about everything they've done in your life to help you grow in your faith, to help you become more like Christ. You're just like, man, I love that person. Everything they've meant to me. They have a special place in your heart. By God's grace, I, I think there's been many people like that in my life. I... Um, for me, without question, number one, most special place in my heart, meant, meant, to me, meant more to me in my relationship with the Lord than anybody else ever, my wife, hands down, no question about it. She's more Christ-likeness in her pinky finger than I may, may ever have my entire life. And uh, so unbelievably committed um, and supportive to me and spoken into my life countless times to help me grow and become more like Christ. Why don't you go ahead and thank God for my wife, by the way. Go ahead and give God a hand and thank God for my wife and everything that he's meant, she's meant to me. Um, she was here. She's uh, now feeding our kids so we can get back to Bloomington and have core group meeting tonight. Um, also, secondly, uh, the saints in Bloomington. The saints in Bloomington who's... Uh, um, our hearts just being knit together in love uh, so quickly. Them stepping out in faith uh, to join this journey of planting a new church, to see uh, God glorified through the making of disciples, to see God's word proclaimed, to see God's son adored in Bloomington, Indiana. So committed, so faithful, so godly, so wise. They've joined us. They have a special place in my heart. We love them dearly. It takes a lot of faith to do that. Uh, Thankfully, we're on the journey together. 
you probably have somebody like that. It certainly helps to, um, but it certainly helps to view people the way Paul does here. He says, for you all are partakers of grace with me. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Partakers, that's a partnership term, could be translated partners with me in grace. It, uh, uh, we're partnering together in the grace of God. We're partnering together in this, in the grace of God. Last time I checked, uh, we didn't earn our salvation. We didn't do anything for it. From first to last, all of our salvation is all of God's grace. Every bit of it. We're in God's family because of his grace to us. God's grace for you, for the person sitting next to you. Now, how much would our affection increase if we could see each other the way God does as partakers together of the grace of God? You know, so often I think our relationships, it's more about like, uh, well, you know, this thing I don't really like about that person or, you know, their weakness or they're just different than me. Um, and on and on and on and on and on about stuff like that when Paul says we're partakers together of grace. Listen, there's some things about you people don't like, right? Right? We all have those things, but who cares? Because we're partakers of grace together, and uh, we didn't earn it, and so we don't make other people earn it in our lives. Just wonder how much affection would grow in our hearts as we grow in understanding that we're partakers of grace together. Um, Notice, partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul's in prison. Paul's under attack. Uh, People are probably saying something like, Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel, therefore he's not preaching the gospel right. Um, That's what uh, you'll probably learn as you read through the rest of Philippians. But uh, uh, here's the deal. Um, The Philippians had Paul's back. They really had Paul's back. And they understood that having Paul's back, what was at stake was the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, do you have your pastor's backs? Do you have your backs like the Philippians do Paul here? Uh, I know that many of you do, but uh, do they know it? Do they know it? Wives, how often do you want to be told that your husband loves you? More than once a day, right? At least you would love that if that was the case, right? Do they know it? Have you told them? You want to play a joke on Doug since he's not here? You want to play a joke on him? Here's what we're going to do. Okay? We've got to have everybody in on this. Everybody. Are you in? Shake your head if you're in. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to email Doug today, and I want you to just say this. You can't say anything more and anything less, and you can't tell him where this came from, okay? That's the critical piece. He can't know where this came from. Just say, Harvest Bible Chapel, Indy West, has your back. He should get 500 emails today. Raise your hand if you're going to do it. Okay, look around. If you do it, you're not going to be the only one, so you won't feel weird. And uh, Harvest Bible Chapel, Indy West, has your back. 
because we're advancing the gospel together. Doug didn't tell me to say that. Doug hasn't been, Doug's not gone because he feels like he's not supported by the church. Um, and uh, he hasn't communicated that to me at all. I know many of you already are like that. But uh, it's okay to have some fun together, right? Let's have some fun together. Um, now check out the intensity of the affection that God produced in Paul for the Philippians. In verse 8, for God is my witness. For God is my witness. Paul takes an oath. Um, he says this how I yearn for you all, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's earnest, sincere, active, felt love. And uh, uh, by the way, I'm not sure that I've ever seen a pastor care so deeply for his sheep as Doug cares for you. I'm not sure I've ever seen that. Strive to communicate affection. It makes us one. It's communicating affection is not just husband and wife romantic talk. It's godly brother to brother, sister to sister. I'm so thankful for your brotherhood in Christ. That means so much to us that you would serve us and minister us and care for our kids. And Pastor Doug, I'm, uh, we're growing so much under your preaching ministry. And uh, we just, we've been changed. We, we just hold you in our heart. You have a special place in our heart. You know, how many relationships, other than the partnership of the gospel, communicate that kind of affection? Zero, right? Zero. That's only in the family of God. And so uh, if we get it done, we'll be unified by it. Give thanks to God. Encourage your family. Communicate affection. And uh, lastly, pray with priorities. That's verses 9 through 11. How many of you have sat around in a group and you've prayed, uh, asked for prayer requests and taken prayer requests? And that, um, oftentimes, I think we have good prayer requests. I think rarely do we have great prayer requests. And uh, you know what I mean. I mean, I love Aunt Bertha. I do. And uh, I really care about her big toe. And I want, I want to pray for her. Um, I just, and that's a good thing to pray for. That's just not what Paul prays for, the Philippian church. Um, Praying with priorities means there are higher things to call out to God for. More important things, greater things. Verse 9, Paul says, and it is my prayer. It is my prayer. No question that partnership in the gospel results in mutual prayer. Up to this point, Paul's given thanks uh, to the Philippians through prayer. He's given thanks to God for the gifts, uh, for their support, for their partnership in the gospel. Now Paul's giving back to them, and he's giving back to them in prayer. Well, what does he pray for? Uh, Paul prays that your love may abound more and more. Certainly the love of God. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. The second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor. Uh, uh, Certainly both are in view here. That your love may abound more and more and more and more and more. It started. You've grown in love for one another. But let it continue. Let your love of God continue to grow and develop. No, uh, I think how much would praying for the greatest things, the most important things, the things dearest to God's heart, how much would that change our prayer lives? How much would that change us? How much would that change taking prayer requests in our small groups, going after the most eternal things, the things that God loves the most, that your love may abound more and more, specifically that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, the knowledge of God. And the ability to live it out in our daily lives, discernment. D.A. Carson, arguably the leading New Testament evangelical scholar uh, in the entire world, 
he said this. Um, he said this when answering this question. What is the most urgent need in the church of the Western world today? The most urgent need. D.A. Carson says, the one thing we most urgently need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. Oh, the glories that would overflow from this body if we would cry out to God in prayer for, for one another in what really matters, in a deeper knowledge of God, in a growing love for one another. Have you ever considered why maybe we struggle to get so fire, fired up to pray for one another? Why it's such a battle for us? Why is that? And I wonder if one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why that's the case is because we're not praying for things that are really important in each other's lives. We're praying for important things. We're just not praying for the most important things. Um, see, maybe you can't get that fired up about, uh, uh, let me back up. We pray with priorities. Why? We pray with priorities. Why? Because it, Here's why, because the text finishes. If we do that, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so maybe we can't get excited about praying for um, someone's thrice-removed cousin on their sister-by-marriage's side of the family's appendectomy. Um, it's a good thing to pray for. Ask for prayer for that. Just don't miss that it's not the most important thing to be praying for. Um, but we could get fired up about praying for our brothers and sisters to grow in the knowledge of God so that they would prove, approve of what is excellent, of what really matters in life, so that we could stand before Jesus and his righteousness, so that God would get glory for making sinners like himself. Could you get fired up about praying for that for one another? I think so. I can get fired up about it. I think you can get fired up about it. That's praying with priorities. Becoming one requires striving to give thanks to God, encouraging your family, communicating affection, praying with priorities. See, that's what striving side by side for the faith of the gospel looks like. That's what our partnership in the gospel looks like in the life of this church.